0: give Jesus a real good come on one more time all right thank God Ah, wow remain standing just a minute what an introduction my goodness that was amazing I I feel like I've been to my own funeral amen and heard all the things they were going to say Turn to the one beside you and say, you look like you've been working out again. Come on, tell them that right now. (laughs) And then you may be seated after that. All right. (laughs) Well, what a great joy to be at Eternity Church with all you wonderful people and, of course, your wonderful pastor and his wife. I tell you, you, you people are really spoiled here. You know, this beautiful building that you have here, I ride in and walk in, and this music is just first class. And then you've got the greatest team of pastors that anybody could have here. Thank God for Pastor Jesse and Lauren. Give them a good hand. Amen. Wow. Right. I tell you, your pastor is a bad man. Amen. Now, I'm, you know, the Dream Center bad's good, and good's bad, and bad's good. So he's bad. Amen. And he fits, how many would agree he fits that all the way, amen. It's such a great deal to be here. I love this couple and their beautiful family, and you folks are blessed. I'm amazed in the last eight years with everything that's gone on, all the hardships we faced in America, that this church has grown to be the great church that it is today. Listen, don't ever get used to this. If you do, God will give it to somebody else, Amen. And usually it takes geniuses to recognize greatness when it's in their midst. It's after they're gone they look back and and they whitewash the sepulchres of look at Moses. He was the greatest man of the Old Testament. They tried to kill him. <laughs> but now we say he's the greatest man of all the Old Testament. So what do you say? Honor your pastors. Honor them while their God is using them in a great way. Stick behind them. Be loyal. Come on, say a good amen out there. Because you are being blessed beyond measure. Give the Lord a good clap offering one more time. amen. But I want you to forgive me if I'm just a little sentimental or melancholy here today. You see, uh, 43 years ago, Well, it's been longer than that. It's been over 50 years ago that I started my ministry in a little river town called Davenport, Iowa. And we started with uh, uh, 70-some-odd people. The building uh, that we had, we sold for $10,000, the building and the property. That's the kind of church it was. The total income of the year was $26,000. That paid everything. If there was anything left, it paid the preacher. Amen. But God moved in a great way in those eight years we were there, and we grew to 4,000. became one of the largest mega churches in America at that time. And many of you there heard, and many of you might have been there. It was all over Iowa. Uh, our, our, a, a person that I had a part in his life when I preached in, uh, excuse me, in, uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, He was there, and God touched his life. And he came, and we rented John O'Donnell Stadium and had 30,000 people to hear Johnny Cash. Amen. He sang, and I preached. And at the altar call, we had 6,000 people to come forward accept Christ as their personal Savior. Give the Lord a clap. Amen. And you know what? He didn't charge a penny. He brought his entire caravan. And he usually car- charged $100,000 for one appearance. That's 50 years ago. That'd probably be worth 400000 now. But he came, and two years later, he came the second time. Never did that ever for anybody. And it was a great day for Iowa and for Davenport and for the kingdom of God. So... I am very touched today. And I'm also touched because this last week I had a birthday and I turned 86 years of age. Amen. And the pastor stole my thunder and I've been preaching 70 years. Amen. Started when I was 16 years of age. I've been married to the same old gal for 59 years. I'd rather fight than switch. Amen. All men understand that, say a good amen. Amen. Yeah, you're afraid. I know, I can tell to say amen. But you know, have you ever heard somebody say, well, I'm a self-made man? The pastor's honoring men of the older generation that, well, you heard his introduction. And so my life has been touched by great men. You've heard it said many times that... uh, I'm a self-made man. Well, brother, I'm not a self-made man. When you look at the man up here, there are people that have imparted in me that have, that have influenced my life. For instance, when you look at the man up here, you, you see a little bit of Dr. Oral Roberts. He poured into my life. He would come and spend a week with me in Phoenix every year. And during the daytime, we did something very religious. We played golf. Amen. And then at nighttime, we'd get in the Word of God. And he taught me the principle of seed faith, sowing, and reaping. It changed my life and helped us to be able to raise the money for the great dream center that we poured $50 million in just to get it up to code. Some 15 stories high, 1,400 rooms, 400,000 square feet. But it was this man that made it possible. When you look up here and see this guy, you see a little bit of Dr. Young e. Cho, pastor of the largest church in the world, in history. 700 people in one church, not organization, one church. When they had a prayer meeting, they had to go to the stadium and 100,000 people would show up for a prayer meeting. He taught me the value of prayer. He taught me the value of building a great church because he said a great church would influence the city, and they had power of influence. So when you see Tommy Barnett here, you see a little bit of Dr. Cho. When you see the man up here, you see a little bit of Herschel Barnett. That was my father. He taught me things that only a father could teach a son, like integrity, telling the truth. That was my father's influence. They imparted something into my life. But I guess I'm really touched now, because in the last year and a half, two years, some of my dearest friends have gone to be with heaven. Add to Dr. O Roberts and Dr. Cho and my father. In the last two years, Jack Hayford, my dear friend, has passed away, very even older than me. And there was George Woods of the Assemblies of God who led our denomination passed away. Dr. Morris Sorella, I did his funeral, passed away. Dr. Cho, that I had a part of his funeral, passed away. And I guess people tell me over and over, at 86 years of age, I'm one of the few guys left that is able and is going across the country every week, every week preaching somewhere for the glory. I give credit to the Lord. Give the Lord a good evening. And I, I said all this, because I've often asked, Pastor Barnett, you know many of these great men when I was just a boy. The first Voice of Healing Convention was held in my dad's church. And the great men of God that God used in healing were there. Dr. Jack Ho. He had the world's biggest tent. Bigger than any circus tent. And would fill it with thousands of people. And then there was Morris Sorello. There was uh, well, I Oh, the names some kind of escape me right now. but I mean the greatest people in the world, Dr. Branham, that God used in healing like few men ever. They were there. And someone said, Pastor, it was the great men, these great men that influenced you and touched your life. No, it was not their greatness that touched me. It was their humanity. They were great men, but men at best. They failed and they made mistakes. But God used them in a great way, and they rose to great heights for the glory of God. So really, what makes a man great? What makes a man set apart? In the next few minutes, I'm going to give you a sermon that I feel is essential in every Christian's life and every man or woman that God uses in a great way. And by the way, in the second service, I'm preaching a different message. So you've all got to come back. Amen. All the, in other words, all the people that love God will be back at the next service. I want to speak to you on the subject of the greatest title of them all. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will come down now and anoint the person that brings this message. I do not ask for the joy of preaching a great message, but I have a great truth. And I pray, God, this truth will come across And change lives today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would ask me the question today, what is the most important title in a church? Well, we'd probably all say, Pastor. If you'd ask, what is the most important title at a college, a university? We would say, well, it's the president. I've always admired that little parable in Judges chapter 9. In the interest of time, let me just paraphrase the story. One day the trees had a little convention and they decided they would elect a king over all the other trees. One tree raised its branch and said, I have a nomination. I'd like to nominate the vine to become the king over all the other trees. The vine responded, saying, Thank you, but I'm sorry. I've got to refuse the nomination. It is not God's will for me, for one day I'll fill the cup at the Lord's Supper. So the vine refused. I admire the vine, don't you? Another tree spoke up and said, I'd like to nominate the fig tree, but the fig tree said, I'm sorry. Although I am the sweetest of all the fruit, someday it'll be me that is used to be a plaster that is placed upon King Hezekiah, and he will be healed. The fig tree also refused. Another spoke up and said, I'd like to nominate the olive tree. And the olive tree said, oh, I too am sorry. I cannot take the nomination because my fruit will someday provide oil for the holy places. But finally, the cactus spoke up. And the cactus said, I will be your king. Who wanted the title? The prickly cactus, the sorriest of them all. And so often, I feel in our own lives, this is the case. While true greatness does not want the title, except the greatest title of them all, the title of servant. And so today, I want to say four things about the position are the title by making, I think, four, well, six statements. So buckle your steep belt. Here we go. Statement number one: make your position great because it won't make you great. Somebody named me him famous pastor. Because, because he pastored a famous church. You can't do it. A well-known famous church opens up. Hundreds of names come in by Pastors who think, if I could just become the pastor of that well-known church, then I could become well-known. But the truth is, every great church of our generation was made great by a great man. It is a fallacy to want the position, only want the opportunity to serve. Several years ago, when I was a young aspiring preacher, as I mentioned, I started 16. One day I saw a, a book on a shelf, and it read this way. It's, it was entitled, uh, Think and Grow Rich. And I said to myself, hmm, what makes a man great? It has a subtitle underneath it that read this way. The way to become great is to find the world's greatest need and supply it as fast as you can when I heard that, I thought, boy, I'm in the right work. The world's greatest need is who? Jesus. And my job is to supply it to the world as fast as I possibly can. And so, I've learned the way that you can build a great church and a great life and a happy life is to become a need hunter. Look for needs in your community. When I went to Davenport, Iowa, I saw that nobody was reaching the children in the streets of that city. I remember the first Sunday morning, I had 76 people, 76 of the meanest Christians you've ever seen in your life. Amen. Just to have enough inspiration to preach, I had to quote that scripture. Be not dismayed by their faces. They used to say little things like, well, uh, we're not big, but we're spiritual, yeah. Uh, we're, we're not big, but we've taken a stand. And I remember the first Sunday morning, something had to be done. And I, my dad gave me a bus, and we drove it to Kansas City. <laughs> it was an old international harvester. You could hardly turn the steering wheel. It had all kinds of trouble. I called it She Needs. That was her name. She needs gas. She needs oil. She needs engine repair. She needs tires. She needed everything. The first Sunday morning we ran that, over 60 people showed up on that bus, most of them unsaved. When I gave the altar call that day, almost all of them came to the altar. We almost doubled our congregation one Sunday morning. And we bought another bus and another bus. And soon we had 47 buses. Bringing in over 2,000 children to church. Oh, I took a lot of heat for it. People said, well, it's the numbers game. They're just concerned about numbers. By the way, let me say I am concerned about numbers because everybody that walks in this church is somebody that can preach for the glory of God. Come on, say a good amen. You see, the devil has his eyes on the masses, he's concerned how many get to his clubs. And it should be said of the church, we count people because people count. Boy, that's good, amen. We found a need. When I went to Phoenix, Arizona, I noticed that nobody was reaching the kids. I really didn't want to have another bus ministry because it was expensive, it took a lot of work, and boy, it took a lot of dedicated people to run the bus ministry, but I saw a need. Again, I began to run buses till we had 40 buses there. And then we had eight wheelchair buses. I remember getting a call, and it was a little lady saying, Pastor, I want to come to your church. I said, well, good. She said, I have no way. I said, well, a bus comes by. Just get on the bus. She began to cry and say, I can't get on the bus. I said, sure you can, Mama. Get on that bus. And she began to weep and say, you don't understand. I have no legs. I'm in a wheelchair. You see, I'd found a need. I'd found a hurt, and so we spend our life finding hurts and healing them. I said, if you'll just give me two weeks, I'll find a way to get you on the, get you to church. I begin to look around, and one day I saw a bus downtown. When I see a bus, I'm interested. This one was park. Bus driver jumped out, ran around the side, pushed a button, and the side of the bus opened up. He pushed another button, and a wheelchair lift one up, and a little lady rolled out on a wheelchair. She looked like Queen Elizabeth on her throne. He pushed a button, and down it came. And I said, I'm going to get me four of those. Amen. I went to my board. We located four in Detroit, Michigan. Send the deacons up who had been against the bus ministry to drive them back to our city. At first Sunday morning, there was a lot of weeping in the church. I thought these are the cryingest people I've ever seen in my life. But it wasn't them crying, it was my class conscious church. Their hearts had been touched. And we went on, now we have eight wheelchair buses. And if you would come to our church Sunday morning, the whole front is filled with wheelchairs. You see, we found a need And that's what servants do. And they fill that need. A few years ago, we found out that the foster care system in our state is huge. No one's taking care of them. When they turn 18 years of age, they show up, the social program people, they show up with a plastic sack and they tell them they have to leave because the funding runs out at 18 years of age. They put all their stuff in that little sack and turned them on the street. And by the way, the big percentage of the homeless today are out of the foster care system. And so what did we do? We found a need. So when Easter Sunday came, we asked all of our people to bring an old suitcase that they do not use and fill it with toiletries and everything that a person would need. And now we go with the people from the social program. And when they turn them out, we give them this suitcase and say, we have a place for you. If you'll come to the Dream Center, by the way, we can house 60 of these people. We'll take care of you. We'll give you an education, help you get your GDD, help you get a job. We found a need and we filled it. Human trafficking is a big thing in our world today. And we found a need, and we began to reach out to these girls. And today, well, one girl, for instance, there's a city in our our state called Colorado City. The pastor probably told you about it. So we went there, and we took over the place that Warren Jeff used to use to house women. Some 80 women were his wives, most of them 12, 13, 14 years of age. He was really a human trafficker. And finally he was put in prison for life. Everybody say amen, thank you. And today we not only have his root house that was once housed these 85 women and now it houses girls that we've rescued from human trafficking and their lives are being changed. It got so big we had to buy since you were there another big house. And then they had to have a place to be fed because Warren Jeffs provided food for everybody. He decided who married who and how much food they got. And so they had to have food. And so we had to buy another place. And then we bought another place. And by the way, today the mayor was elected, who is a Christian now. Come on, say a good amen. The city literally has been turned from a polygamy city into a city that's being run now by the church of Jesus Christ. You you see, I'm trying to tell you that servants find needs. Nobody has a right to live a life full of self-pity when there's so much hurt in the land. And the answer to your depression is to find a need, find a hurt, and fill it. Statement number two. Do not seek the title, but do your job and make the title great. We started the Dream Center in Los Angeles. And if you don't know what the Dream Center is, it's the old Queen of Angels Hospital, the largest hospital, the first hospital in LA. Many of the movie stars who were born in that hospital. It's world famous, it's right on the freeway, Everybody knows it. But they moved out into a new place and left it vacant. It was, it, was, it was damaged by an earthquake and many things it went through. But through a miracle, we were able to buy this place. I remember when we went there, nobody really wanted to come. I, I brought in some of well-known pastors to help me. But when they saw the area, now when I cast the vision, they got excited about it. But when they saw the area... They got very spiritual on me and said, I don't believe that God is calling me to this area, amen. The dirty rascals, amen, thank God. So I couldn't get a good preacher, so I got my son, Matthew, 20-year-old boy. He said, Dad, I'll, I'll run errands for you. I'll drive the car for you. I'll do anything you want. I'll be your servant. Today, Matthew is one of the most sought-after speakers in the world. He pastors something that all over the world they talk about. Probably one of the biggest things happened in my lifetime is the Dream Center. Nobody wanted, but he took a little position that nobody wanted and made it great for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he found needs and found hurts and he healed them. Hey, does the name Susan Wesley does it mean anything to you? She was a mother. But oh, what a mother she was. The mother of Charles Wesley and his brother. She sought nothing. She did not look for her rights. But she made the cradle her throne and raised two young men that literally changed the nation of England. She was a servant. Who's the most famous woman of our generation? Could it be princess diane or maybe it was margaret thatcher she was a great woman what about miss gandhi of india or could it be lady gaga i hope not amen <laughs> who was it who would you say the woman of our generation has been that's right mother teresa mother teresa his old her old Nolly wrinkled hands are the most photographed hands in the world the hands of a servant see I'm trying to tell you today that God cannot and he will not use title seekers if you seek the title you'll fail at the job who's the greatest man in the Old Testament Moses and who would you say was the most talked about famous men of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. Did you know that both of these men gave up titles? Moses gave up being a king. Paul gave up being a member of the Senate. If Paul would have kept his title, he would have never been the success that he was. If Moses would have sought the title, he would have been a failure. Our Lord had no degree and yet he was the greatest teacher that ever lived. Jesus was never an admiral, but he commanded the sea. He was never a general, but he led a love revolution. He was never crowned king, but he was called the king of kings and the lord of lords. He never had a doctor's degree, but he laid hands on the sick and they recovered and the lame walk and the dumb talked and the blind saw. I'm saying to you, do not concern yourself with a title except the title of a servant. Statement number three. Let your title come as a result of your work. Let your title be an adjective and not a noun. Let your title describe what you have done and not what you seek or plan to do. And those who see your work will give you description based upon your title, based upon what you have done. Statement number four. Servants are remembered, not titles. Charles Finney, the great revivalist of his day, was disowned by his own pastor. Can you tell me the name of that pastor? A uh, Charles Spurgeon. The great pastor of the Great Baptist Church in England, the Pearl of Great Preachers, was voted out of the London Baptist Association. Only seven men out of the entire association voted for him. Uh, Name me one pastor that voted against him. You can't do it. Martin Luther was persecuted by the Pope of Rome. What pope? Paul was killed by Nero of Rome. 2,000 years later, people named their sons Paul and put the next slide up and their dogs Nero. <laughs> Servants. That's almost spooky right behind me here. <laughs> Servants are remembered. Surveys have shown That when people are asked, who are the people that inspired you the most in your life? People except maybe it's a movie star or or a great sports personality. But every time, it's like a teacher that took interest in somebody when they were struggling. A doctor that cared more. And he would come to the home. A pastor, a friend who loved them. There are several things that these people had in common. First of all, they lost themselves on a cause. You see, you need a cause because a cause will lift you out of yourself into another self that is greater than yourself. And you will never know what your capacity is until you have a cause. And there's no cause that demands our lives and our service like a bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ they not only lost himself in a cause, but second, they were not looking for prestige or authority. And number three, these people would not quit. You say, Pastor Barnett, have you ever wanted to quit? Sure has. I mean, uh, when I was 60 years of age, I decided that I would run from Phoenix to L.A., 435 miles, to raise money to buy the Queen of Angels Hospital. We didn't have the money for the down payment and I would get sponsors for every mile that I ran. It took me 19 days to make that run. I lost all my toenails. I had blisters all over my feet. I even developed phlebitis in my legs and I I lost my mind, amen. (laughs) You You say, did you ever wanna quit? (laughs) <laughs> Somebody said, Pastor, I know what kept you going. It was your love for these little children that needed you so much in L.A. Now, can I be honest? At 5 o'clock when the alarm went off and I got up, I didn't care if every kid in L.A. went to the Boogerman. Amen. <laughs> you see, what kept me going was not the cause, but what kept me going was the character attribute, that there was a need for it to be fulfilled. I'm trying to say to you, my friends, number four, these people couldn't care less about the title. I want to go back just a minute. Somebody said, Pastor, did you ever feel like quitting your wife? Nope, never. Felt like killing her, but not quitting her, amen. I'm a killer, not a quitter, all right. I wanted to quit many, many times. I wanted to quit when that run across the desert. But I'm not a quitter. Number four, these servants couldn't care less about the title, except the greatest title of them all. I have one illustration, and we're going to close. As I mentioned, the Dream Center is quite a place, it's 1,400 rooms. And by the way, we have everything you can imagine at the Dream Center. We've got drug addicts. We've got former prostitutes. We've got girls caught in human trafficking. We've got gang members. And that's just the pastoral staff. Amen. Amen. In other words, when we find somebody in need, we rescue them. We've got people that we found in Skid Row. Almost all of them were once in service served our country, but they went through all kinds of torture, of war, and they ended up in Skid Row, and we started a ministry. One whole floor are these people. And there was a young lady who came and spent two years at the Dream Center. We have a place for people that volunteer for an extended time, but after her term was up for two years, she was on her way home, and for some reason that she never knew to this day. She got bumped up to first class. And Thelma was him beside a man we found later was very wealthy, a Jewish man. And he was in his 60s. She began to share with him what had happened to her and how her life was changed being at the Dream Center. And big tears began to stream down his cheeks. And he said... That seems like a place I need to go. She said, Well, would you like to have a tour of the place? He said, Yes. I'll arrange it with our pastor. So of course we arranged the date. And I took him on a tour through the dream center. He saw these women that lives are being changed. He saw the men in discipleship whose lives were changed. And he began to weep. When we finished the tour, I took him right into the church service. And I preached that night, and I'll be honest with you, I I preached kind of with one man in mind. And when I gave the altar call, he came weeping to the altar. This man who was very wealthy lived in England. And he was so stirred by what God had done that once a month he would fly from England in his private jet to the Dream Center, his church. One day he texted me and said, Look, I'm coming. I I want to spend a little time with you before church. It's very important. You think you could arrange it? And I thought, yeah, I can't get people to come across the street to church. I'm certainly going to meet with this guy. And so I met with him. He said, Pastor, the reason I wanted to meet with you, I saw a movie that really changed my life. It was called Bucket List. And he proceeded to tell me what it's all about. Of course, you know, many of you have seen the movie, the story of two men dying with cancer. They had about a year to live. There was no hope. They were depressed. When one day, one of them was very wealthy and one was very poor. One day the wealthy man walked into the room and he saw a piece of legal yellow paper that was wadded up. He reached down, picked it up and straightened it out and he said at the top bucket list and he said to the poor man, what is this? And the poor guy said, look, this is what I want to do. This was my dream before I died to do this that you're reading. But he said, I guess we're not going to be able to do it. And suddenly the rich man who had been depressed got a big smile and said, what do you mean? He said, we got a year to live. I got all the money in the world. I got the jets. Let's do your bucket list. And the rest of that movie was about those two old codgers jumping out of airplanes, driving sports cars, swimming with the sharks, climbing the Himalaya Mountains and trying to kiss the most beautiful girl in the world. And he said, Pastor, when I read that, I thought of you not trying to kiss the beautiful girl in the world. Amen. <laughs> Come on, church, amen. amen. But I thought of you. He said, Pastor, I want you to write down your bucket list on a sheet of paper. Anything that you want to do before you die. Anything you want to do before you kick the bucket, Pastor. Any place you want to go. Anything you want to achieve. Money is no object. I got all of it. And I got the jets. Don't wait too long before we get too old to do it. Let's do your bucket list. So a couple days later, I went in with a legal pad. I wrote across the top my bucket list. And I thought, what do I want to do? I thought, I don't want to jump out of an airplane. The Bible said, lo, I am with you always. Amen. Amen. I don't want to swim with a shark. I might be bait. I I don't want to drive a sports car. It's bad enough to ride with my wife. Amen. (laughs) And I thought, and I thought, I don't want to kiss the most beautiful girl in the world because I've already done that. And if I kiss another, she'll kill me. Amen. (laughs) And I thought, And I thought, and for the life of me, I couldn't think of another thing I'd rather do than feed another hungry child, than rescue another girl from human trafficking, and bring her back to life. I couldn't think of another thing I'd rather do And giving an invitation for people to come to Jesus Christ. With tears streaming down my cheeks, I said, oh God, if I get too old and my mind is not strong enough. And my body is too weak to do this, Lord. I pray that you'll just take me on to heaven. Because what is there to live for? if you can't serve your generation as David did in your generation. And I believe that God, one of the reasons he sent me here, when you're honoring men that God has used through the ages, I truly believe there are servants in this crowd. I really believe there are miracles in this house. I truly believe because years ago I was preaching at the National Black Pastors Conference. I was the only Caucasian on the program in Washington, D.C. And I said, why in the world did you invite me? Everybody knows these black preachers are the greatest preachers in the world. You've just set me up for failure. I feel like a pygmy among giants. They said, well, we invited you, Pastor, because you got a black heart. Amen. Well, that night, I gave it all I had. I was in the company of great preachers. I knew I had to step it up. And you know how they play music in the background at the black churches and they begin to play that music? And boy, I got into it. I got in rhythm, man. I, I was really preaching. Matter of fact, I got in so much, I caught myself rapping. You know, amen. <laughs> Little did I realize that sitting in that audience was a young man who said, God, unless you do something, I can't go on. I can't go on, God. And he was ready to resign. But when I said there's a miracle in this house, somebody God's going to use, he said, God, if you'll just get me out of here alive, he said, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I was so excited. I'll be the miracle in the house. He went back and his little church began to grow in the south. And then he was called to a new pastorate. And God began to bless his ministry. He got on television and preached a message in Stern America. When he had his first pastor school, he invited me to come and be the opening speaker and said, that night what God had done for him, and if he ever had his own conference, he'd like for me to open it up. He had over 6,000 pastors that night. Oh, by the way, you might have heard of him. His name was T.D. Jakes. Sitting right there in the audience. There was a miracle in the house. Now look at me just a minute. Everything you need to build that next building, the think tank is there. The creativity is in this building. The seed for the money. It's right here in this house. Don't get quiet on me now, amen. Yeah. Everything we need to reach this city, the seed for it is right here in this house. So every head is bowed and every eye is closed. The Holy Spirit is moving across this place right now. I mean the presence of God is so strong it's almost like we can feel the rush of the angels' wings as they hover here because I believe there are miracles in this house. The greatest miracle is the moment that Jesus Christ comes into your life and transforms your life forever. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.